Welcome to Dyslexia Explored. I'm Darius Nomderon, your host. What do you do if you're 20 years old and you dreamt of being a midwife since you were a teenager, but your dyslexia meant that you didn't get the grades you needed when you were 17, 18 years old and left high school? Well, this is the story of a young lady a few years on who's chosen to work full time and go to college and keep studying in the evenings and night class to get the grades she needs to go to university and learn the skills she needs to be able to do that and become a midwife. May I introduce you to the dyslexia story so far of Keziah Nicholas. This is Keziah Nicholas. Keziah, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Darius. I'm excited to be here. It's great having someone who's 20 on the show because a lot of the people listening, the parents and the tutors, the focus of this show is how do you get through high school with your confidence intact and find your thing in life. Mm -hmm. And that's still really fresh with you. You know, it's just a matter of years ago. So I'm really interested to hear your story so far. So where did your dyslexia story all begin? Both of my brothers are dyslexic. I'm one of eight, so my and I'm the third child. So my two older brothers are dyslexic. So when I got into primary school, my mum was like, "Just test her, just test her." She'd already seen tendencies. So for example, when I would read books, um, it could be a really generic children's book. So use the same characters and stuff that the rest of the books uses. I would guess the words, and she'd be like, "Cause I look at the word," and I'd look at her and be like, "Dog." She was like, "No, read the word." So she could already see by the time I was in P1 and P2 that I had tendencies, but she asked that I was tested and they did it. It just, they discovered that I was dyslexic when I was in primary three, which I am so grateful for, because I know so many people who go through all of high school or even most of their life and they don't know. For um, our American and international listeners, P3, what age is that? Um, it's, for me, I was seven. Seven. I was seven years old. Uh, I was always, uh, I was always proud of my dyslexia. It was just another part of me. I did definitely find it challenging, particularly when, um, I think from what I can remember, I was like one of the only dyslexic kids in my class and I was in a class of 19. Um, now the likelihood that there was somebody in that class who maybe had dyslexia and it hadn't been found out, it's probably quite high. As far as I know, I was the only one who had it. And then going through primary school, it was a little bit easier because you've only kind of got one class, so you don't have to for all these different uh, classes and the, there's not as much pressure on you because you are a child and then getting up into high school that was another kettle of fish entirely because suddenly instead of having one teacher in one class maybe seven teachers in seven different classes um, and the information that you take in a day is incredible compared to primary school and it was I started to find it very difficult to be motivated for school um, and also just I couldn't understand why some people almost felt like they had it so easy mm. and yet, or it was something so simple. Yet I just couldn't get my head around it. But because I, they found out I was sex like so young, um, it meant that I was immediately shown people's support and all the, it's not civilities, what's the word? It, uh, all the stuff that I could, I could use for support, um, such as like a Neo or a computer I could type on or extra time in exams, or a scribe, that was so handy. Uh, but also finding that I was in, that I was really artistic. Um, that's 
came to wear my dyslexia story, uh, began kind of getting to know myself better. So what I like to ask people, you know, what woke up their potential? You know, like often in most people's life, there's there's a moment, there's a, a person or an event or different things that sort of woke, woke something up inside of you. What what was that for you? Um, My mum said that when I was little, if I was like really stressed out or I'd had a really tough day, um, suddenly the house would go quiet and she'd be like, where's Kes? And uh, she'd normally find me in a room colouring or drawing. Uh-huh. And um, uh, she could see, and that was, I was really little. I mean, you were talking like three or four years old. I think from there, my mum could see, and it was almost natural for me, but that I was really artistic, and that that was going to play such a key element in my life. Um, and then I did advanced higher art in high school, so I did it to the highest level possible in high school. Um, I didn't sit down and start jotting down maths or English, but I definitely did it for art. So I think for me, that was um, that was a little beacon of hope. That was something that I could do, and I could do well. Mm. So were there particular, any kind of teachers or encounters with people through your school or high school or outside of school even that were sort of defining moments in, in um, your story? Yeah, I, uh, learning support was always a really, uh, two teachers in particular that were so kind to me, you know, didn't look at me and then once I'd asked the third time how, how I didn't understand it. They would, uh, they would do it again or they'd find a new way of teaching me or they'd make me laugh or they'd make me feel comfortable. Um, defining moments. So learning support? Learning support Who was great. Um, Mrs Brown uh-huh. in St David's. She's so lovely. She's still there, actually. She, uh, she was Miss Lyle and then she got married. But she was, she's so kind. And actually, um, I had an awful experience recently where I was in the co-op and I lost my baby brother because he decided to walk home without telling me and he's only five and mm-hmm. she came in to the shop and she was like oh Kazaya how you doing I was like miss and I burst into tears because I couldn't find my little brother and she dropped everything and helped me and we found him <laughs> he's not done that since but you know she was so special not everyone would do that and she just dived right in and I felt like she really did that for me in high school um what I needed I got which was great great having those kind of champions and that's one of the things that I like to do in this show as well is just highlight those Mm. quiet heroes that waken something inside of you or believe in you along the way and it makes a big difference in the future so the challenge what kind of challenge did you face in primary school spelling was a big one um I remember being in p4 and our teacher asked gave us a word each to, to learn how to spell that week. And I was given scissors. And I was like, oh, wow. scissors? I was like, good grief. And I think I, I set myself to it and I ended up remembering how to, how to spell it. But that was a big mountain for me because how on earth do you spell scissors? I don't know if I could spell it today, if I'm quite honest. Um, but I remember being in P7 and we had spelling books and everyone was on kind of spelling book five or six and I was on spelling book two. Mm. I remember my teacher I don't know why she did it to this day but she went just randomly in the class she went because I spelled chicken I was like um I said miss I'm sorry I don't know and I was so embarrassing it was so embarrassing because everyone was like what you can't spell chicken and I was in primary seven so I was 11 years old 
Um, and the fact I was, being, I was on, put on the spot as well doesn't mm. help at all. Um, but that was a great challenge. And then in high school, time management, massive one. Uh, reading, writing. I'm not sure if it was because of the seven years of writing in primary school, but I, I was just exhausted. So that's when I was going to a computer, which was great. So I got to type up the notes from class or any essays I needed to do. And then I would go to learn support. I'd plug in the computer and print off the work and hand it to the teacher. And that worked great for that year. But then it was almost like I had a reboot. And from after that, I just, I wrote. Um, you had a reboot? Yeah, like, so I don't know, for some reason, after first year, I I felt like I could write again. Oh, I see. Like, okay. I could, um, so I started writing after um, the first year of high school, I then started writing again. Because before, I mean, I remember in primary seven, sitting, we had to write a story, sitting with a learning support person next to me, and I just could not get down on paper what was in my head. I physically could not do it. And I would sit and cry at the piece of paper because everyone else was doing it so easily. And yet, for some reason, it was like, I just I just couldn't do it. Um, I got tinted glasses in high school to help me read because white paper was so harsh and it would give me headaches. And I would focus... It was like my eyes couldn't focus on the words. It, they were focusing on the white spaces. Um, so coloured paper was very handy and not super tiny writing. Um, speech, always a big one. My mum was really, really tempted to send me to a speech therapist because I spoke incredibly quickly and I would mash up my words together. For example, um, I took a recording of myself recently. I was sending it to a friend and I said, my mum likes a tidy and cleany house. What? And I listened to it again. I was like, I'm at a tidy and a clean house. So I'd mash up words like that. Or um, I would get, like I asked my friend if she was voting yes or no in the recession. She was like, what? (laughs) And she was like, do you mean referendum? And I was like, oh, right. (laughs) So stuff like that, but particularly because I spoke so quickly. Um, But I... You're not speaking quickly now. I'm really conscious of it because... It's been a problem that I've lived with my whole life. And the fact that we're Scottish as well, so speaking fast is kind of the norm. Um, I think sometimes some dyslexic children speak fast as a way to cover over. Mm, yeah. They're, they're not quite sure, so they kind of blur it up a little bit. Yeah. And it, it, it's, oh, it's just because I'm speaking fast. Yeah, no, that's, that's very, very true. Uh, because you know, that's anxiety around it. Well, I got this wrong before, so I'll probably get it right again. But I want to communicate, so yeah. I'll just speak really quickly. But I did drama in high school, and I loved it. And I loved it. And that taught me a lot about slowing down. Because if I'm uh, performing to an audience, I need to be able to articulate properly, and they need to be able to understand what I'm saying. Um, but when I'm really conscious of it, I don't tend to speak fast. But when I get tired... Um, or I'm, I'm stressed, or even when I'm excited about something, yeah. I tend to speak really, really quickly. So what was high school like towards the exam stage? Because that was only a few years ago yeah. for you now. Yeah, um, I, I, they knew I was getting support. We'd already set that in place. But for prelims, so like we have this thing where you can have a, a practice exam before your exam. So prelims were coming up and... Um, I we were, they weren't going to put me in a room by myself. As far as, as far as support was going, I was just getting IT support, and I was doing it in the examination hall. Oh my goodness, I hated the examination hall. It was awful. 
you know, I had this computer. So you already feel a bit funny because everyone else has got paper and you have a computer and it looks a bit funny. And then, you know, you're, you get stuck on a question and then you look around and everybody else is writing. So everybody else knows the question and you don't, which of course is not the case, but that's how you feel. Mm. And anxiety was insane. And then <laughs> my computer said low battery and I was like, Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, what? So then I put my hand up. This lovely gentleman came over and he picked up my computer and we had to take my computer and all my stuff to the back of the examination hall where all the coats and jackets were. So um, everybody was passing me and I couldn't concentrate. It was awful. And um, I mean, that reflected on my results. What, they were passing you on the way out? Yeah. Because you had extra time and they had to finish? Yes, and also because I was at the back of the hall because I needed to go next to a plug to plug my computer in. Yeah. So it was so distracting, so distracting. Um, So after that, they were like, right, we'll give Kazai our own room, which was such a blessing. So when exams did come around, I mean, I was stressed. I was so, so stressed. And... um, Particularly with subjects that I just wasn't confident in, which was quite a lot of them. Um, I would have um, my body, I felt like, go out of sync during exams. Um, I was part of a, a friendship group, maybe 10 of, 10 of us, 10 girls, and seven of them got all A's. Mm. So I was very much, they were all lovely, all really lovely and uh, kind, but I was very much, I felt like the, the dumb one. Mm-hmm. because I didn't get I mean I have two friends who are twins and one got all A's and one got all A's bar B <laughs> and it was so the the intellect was incredible in my friendship group um, so and when they came around to exams for them they were pretty stressed as well but I felt like I was almost under the same amount of stress but I knew they would do so much better than me and then after the first year of exams I actually felt like it wasn't as bad as I thought so when it came around to fifth year exam, I wasn't as stressed, but I didn't do as well. Nowhere near as well as my fourth year. Um, but that was partly because in fourth year, I took I took uh, drama, art, home economics, business management, and PE. So uh, lots of really practical things in there, lots of creative subjects besides business management. And that year, I got three A's, a B and a D, and the D was in man- business management. <laughs> Uh, so I excelled in creative subjects, but then because I'd taken loads of creative subjects, the next year I had to take academic subjects. So I took English and maths and um, a couple other ones, but I did not do well in those. Besides English, I managed to pass English, which was great, but that was great help from my father and my mum. I think I would not have passed it. Uh, so exams were exams were okay. Definitely, I felt like I got myself worked up too much because they, were, they weren't that bad. But they would have been a lot worse if I hadn't had all the support that mm-hmm. I'd got. A lot worse. So your goal is to become a midwife. It is. When did you put set your mind to that? Um, well, I originally wanted to be a photographer because I thought, you know, particularly a wedding photographer, um, I thought, what a, you know, I love weddings and to be a person to be able to capture those moments, how precious would that be? But then being one of eight and being the third oldest of one of eight, um, I have seen my mum go through many pregnancies and not the births. I did ask, she said no. <laughs> um, and I thought, what incredible people to to be there for those women who need them so dearly. And my mum said that uh, giving birth is like the bridge between life and death because it can go either way so quickly. Mm-hmm. And then 
um, you know, there can be so many complications with births and it is a really tough time. So I thought to myself, if I can get a little bit of Jesus into each one of those delivery rooms, then I'll be doing a good thing. Um, and also, uh, I love period dramas, love them to bits, particularly when they're movies. And uh, Call the Midwife started and I was hitched so quickly. Mm -hmm. Love it, love it, love it. Particularly as well because it's so genuine. There's not a lot of rubbish drama in it. And um, what these women did for these going above and beyond uh, Call of Duty. Um, and I was like, I really want to be like that. I want to be a person like that. That's great. So what do you mean by getting a little bit of Jesus in? You know, what does that mean for you? Is it So I'm a Christian. Um, my my father is a Church of Scotland minister, but I made the decision for myself to follow Jesus. And that, he, Jesus has played a big part in being able to live life with dyslexia. Um, because, you know, I'm fearful and wonderfully made. And I know that I was here for a purpose. And not that, just because I can't, you know, I don't put my worth on whether I can spell a word right or whether I can articulate something perfectly because I'm worth so much more than that. And um, and I know he loves me for me. Um, so, and I've been able to use my dyslexia and my love for Jesus to bring joy to other people. Like when I, you know, I'm using humour. So like when I said to my friend, are you voting yes in another recession? That made her laugh. And I could laugh with that because it was actually quite funny. Um, and so through my dyslexia, um, you know, God had been able to use me to make other people smile. And that's so important. Okay, so that's kind of the challenge. What sort of, are you, I often ask people what reward they've got out of that challenge. Do you think you're in the place where you've got a reward out of it or you're you, you're looking for a reward? Where are you in that kind of stage? I don't want to presume you've already got some sort of reward. <laughs> um, yes and no. I think just now, because I'm having to study loads, that it's really tough. Like, it's really tough. Are you um, working full time? I I dropped my hours, but I I'm working 35 hours a week. You're working 35 hours a week, and at the moment, so you're 20, mm -hmm. you're working 35 hours a week, and you want to become a midwife, so what kind of things do you need to become the midwife? Um, To get into university, I need three Bs and a C at higher, and a national five in math. Three Bs and, and a, a C. C, and a nat five in maths. Mm -hmm. So what have you got to get to fill the gaps? Um, I got my higher English, which was great. I got a B in higher English. and Was I, that last year? Uh, in high school. In high school, in high school. okay. And I got uh, a B, no, a C in art. So I've got a B and a C. Um, I didn't have maths, so I needed to get that. And I could have, um, I needed to have a B. Two, two of them have to be English and biology. They have to be English. Other ones can be anything. So art was fine, that's applicable. I got my English, which was great, that's what I needed. So now I need to get my biology and my maths and then something else. So I'm hopefully planning, if I pass biology and maths this year, then I'll go on to do higher biology next year at college and then along with either higher sociology or psychology, which should then hopefully give me the grades to get into university. So you'll be 21, 22? I'll be... Um, I think I figured out if I'm if everything goes like clockwork and I get accepted first year and everything, then I should be qualified when I am twenty five. Okay, start when you're twenty one, twenty two, and qualify twenty five ish. Yeah, it takes okay. three years. Um, 
It's interesting because often a lot of this, they say about dyslexia, you, you, you kind of need to take a slightly longer term view mm. for teenagers and 20-somethings to sort of come into their own. And a lot of dyslexics end up going to university when they're 21, 22, oh, I didn't know that. rather than 17, 18, you know. And often they take a, another route in. Mm. Um, and it looks like that's what you're doing. I mean, yeah. that's working really hard to that get is. to that goal. That actually, you know, for a number of other people, they may have those kind of grades, but not deciding to do much with them. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, do you have any friends who have got kind of grades that you think wish had their, their their grades and are not doing much with it or yeah I think particularly with my friends who got so many qualifications and it was just a blanket it was like well if I get all of these qualifications then no matter you know I can do whatever I want which is great but that would have killed me <laughs> if I had done that um and I wouldn't have got any of them because I've been I'd be worked far too hard um yeah my I think it, there's so much truth in that like my brother Joel who's dyslexic he took two years at a gap year. He took two years out and volunteered with our church and volunteered in youth min mission um, and youth work. And he was also uh, the youth minister at Lighthouse. And then he uh, started to do a university course um, and that is in theology and youth mission, I think it is. But he you now has that, but he got it when he was 23. That's when he got his degree. My brother Nathan, who's dyslexic, has not been to university. Um, but he's married and has his own house. And uh, he he works full time and um, is part of the REF. So he didn't even go down in education. The military are really good with dyslexia. Mm, I think it's I think cause it's so practical as well. Yeah. Like, there's not a lot of... I mean, it's hard. Nathan had to do his... Armada or something, I can't remember what it was called, but it's physical test, which was really difficult. But if you asked me to do a physical test or a written test, I'd put the physical yeah. one easy. So let's go on to the second section where we talk about dyslexia and kind of like you, we can track the influence of dyslexia through your story so far. What have you learned about dyslexia out of your own story? Um, that it comes in all shapes and sizes. Uh -huh. um, the way that it affects my brother's um is very different in ways that it affects me um that it's not it's not an excuse for being stupid because that's so not true i watched this incredible ted talk about dyslexia and it really opened my eyes like even the physical differences of a dyslexic brain compared to a normal brain um or non-dyslexic brain i found fascinating and uh i found that um for me, there's there's got not a limit, but I need to know what my limitations are in the sense that um, I know I can learn this, but I'd be much better learning it in two sections than five hours of intense learning. Okay. Um, so, for example, um, I have a, a maths tutor and he likes to get through the maths quickly so that we can get on to the next thing. Um, but I might might be doing it for like I don't know because the three hour mark and I'm starting to get tired. Three hours. <laughs> I know of maths. Math. <laughs> My goodness. Um, do you uh, take breaks? Eh, uh, we do. We tend to take like one break and we look at memes, which is quite funny. But uh, you know, it's recommended that you take you study in twenty five minute chunks, <laughs> have a five minute break. 
to reset your attention. Oh, I, that's... I and that's I... not just for dyslexic. <laughs> that's for, like, everyone. I, I mean, it's funny because, I mean, I was about to say, well, then I wouldn't get as much work done. But then we might, would I actually understand it better and process Definitely. the information better? Absolutely. Scientifically. <laughs> unquestionably... <laughs> That's the reality of it. Because if you if you did if you charted a graph after and and you showed your attention level after mm. about ten minutes, it starts dropping down. Mm-hmm. Okay, to about fifty percent at about half an hour. You know, like you're you're paying a hundred percent attention, but your absorption level, as it were, is, has dropped. Yeah. Okay. If you then interrupt it at that stage. 25 minutes into it have a break it resets back up to 100 percent, and then starts dropping back down but if you don't interrupt at that stage it just drops down and settles at about 40 (laughs) percent. just carries on so if you just do the maths of that Mm -hmm. over a three-hour period compared to chunking it up (laughs) you can do the same amount of work and get there faster if you take more breaks that's very interesting i'll have to relay that to him but Ah. It's called, there's a name for it, the Pomero technique. Oh, how interesting. You say, I'll do a Pomero. A Pomero. I'll do a Pomero. <laughs> 25-minute Pomero. Um, but with with that, so with the three hours, um, you know, the physical signs of being tired, like, well, you're, like, your brain is getting too hot, so you yawn or you scratch your head. These are all physical uh, reactions to your brain being too hot because it's trying to release heat. That's why we yawn. So I'll start yawning, I'll start itching my head, and I'm like, oh, this, oh no. And he's and he's asking me something, and then he's like, do you get it? And I'll be like, mm-hmm. Do you get it? Mm-hmm. You don't get it, do you? Mm-mm. <laughs> so I, in that, that I have to say, look, I think it's time to stop because this is like, it's just no point trying to teach me something yes. when I am not yes, absorbing absolutely. this. And I think that's you coming back to this point of knowing your limits. Mm-hmm. So that there's obviously the physical human limit, but there's also limit to a hyper-creative brain like yours, dyslexic brain, yeah. you start knowing where your capabilities are. Mm-hmm. Like, I know I can't remember more than three things when I go to the shop if I don't write. If it's, if it's four things, mm-hmm. I will only remember two things. But if it's three things, I will re- reliably remember the three things. Yes. But the moment it goes to four, then things just <laughs> start knocking each other off the table. But And I'm fine with that. Because now I know it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you think, oh, I should really be able to remember four or five things. So I go and try it again. And I'm like, no, I've just learned that's my limit. Yeah. And if someone gives me an extra task to add to the shopping, like buy the bananas, I just have to write a list. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's workarounds. Let's move to learning moments. What were your learning moments? And how do you learn? What What's your sort of favorite way of learning stuff? Um, I found that repetitive learning tends to work quite well for me. Pardon? Repetitive learning. Okay. So what do you mean by that? Um, doing something over and over and over again. Okay. Um, not to the point of exhaustion at all, but like when I did maths in high school, I had this one t- very good teacher called Miss Lund. She was quite strict. She was quite funny. But at the start of every class, she would pull up like twenty-five questions that we had done in previous lessons, and it would we'd have to do them so we had to really dive into our long-term memory and bring them back up and remember them and I did really well um unfortunately it wasn't at an exam level so I didn't help in particular but because I was repeating it um it it, it did it was really really helpful and like today when I was at math tutoring um my math tutor was like I said, let's, what was that again? What did you say? And he went, but you don't understand it. So why would we, you know, you're not understanding it properly. And I said, no, but 
if you just show me how to do this a couple of times more, more then I will get it. And I did. We did about five more questions and I got it. So repetitive learning is really helpful for me. Um, Teachers call that, tutors call that overlearning. Right. That's their buzzword for overlearning. We just, I just did a, recorded a podcast on dyscalculia. Do you know what dyscalculia, have you heard of it? I, I think I it's have, basically yeah. being dyslexic with maths. Yes, I have. And she did a keynote speech at Dyslexia Education Conference uh, a few days ago. I recorded that. It's I think it's episode 15 or 16. You might be interested in that. Right. And she goes through lots of different techniques you can use with dyslexics and maths. Mm, how interesting. You know, um, visual aids mm-hmm. and, and techniques. And mm-hmm. often if you can visualize it in a certain way and something that can be really hard in an abstract mathematical formula when you use certain tools, you can visualize it. It becomes very straightforward because you're using your visual yes. advantages as a dyslexic to compensate for your disadvantages. Right, okay. Do you know what I mean? I do. I think visual learning is definitely a massive one for me as well. Like um, My biology lecturer, we were talking about cell membranes and he got up of his seat and he went to the door and he, he closed it. And he was outside the door. We were like, where's he gone? And he opened it again. And he closed it. And he opened it again. And he was de- he was demonstrating to like the permeable membranes. And like it, the door is a membrane. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it was and it was fascinating. I mean, I still remember it. The yes. fact that I remember that um, shows that that was a really effective way of teaching me. Yeah. When you use humor or when because it was it was quite funny because he's just opening and shutting the door. When you use humor and Real physical things like experiments. Experiments what are was great. His name, by the way? Mr. Chalet. Okay. He's really funny. Um, he's a Nigerian chap and he is. He's just hilarious. Uh, that that really helps. I mean, I I did biology at my high school for three years at the same level and didn't and got a C. You know, and uh, I've been with him for what four months and because his teaching styles are so drastically different, I'm learning so much better. Um, so is this your teacher in college? Yes. Ah, right, right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, shout out to him, eh? <laughs> Brilliant. So y- you you really like that practical demonstrations and humour and so on. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, uh, sorry, I was going to move on to the next thing. Anything more before we move on? I think also just if it's really engaging something, because if, if you're interested in something, you're going to learn it better. Yeah. So even if, if you could, if a lecturer could find a way of, because at the moment, my maths, I'm not very interested in maths. You know, I do not, I'm doing trinomials and thirds and algebraic equations. And I'm like, this doesn't, I don't need this to be a midwife. And yet I do. So for me, it's just, it's just a hurdle that I need to get over and don't need to look at again. Now, I think that's quite unfortunate because maths is, is actually very interesting, but it doesn't grab my attention. The only reason why I'm doing it is so that I can get into university. So if there is a way to make it interesting or uh, exciting enough that I could actually enjoy it, um, then, then that would be incredible. Have you come across Khan Academy? Mm-mm. So um, this guy... Can mm-hmm. started to teach his uh, nephews right. maths, and he was some sort of stockbroker or in the financial services, really good with maths. So he said, "Look, I'll coach you," and he did it via you uh, via video, right? So in another country, um, live like mm-hmm. FaceTime sort of thing. And 
sometimes they couldn't make it. So what he did was he says, look, I'll record it and I'll send it to you. And his nephews preferred the video. <laughs> so what he would do is he'd do a maths explanation right. and they could pause it mm. and then rewind if they didn't understand something, which you can't do with a real person. No. You have to kind of do what you're doing now, which is yes, 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 and be mm -hmm. polite and, and hope that finally you might catch up and get yeah. it. Well, they would stop, rewind and play it. And so when he went to his uh, nephews and said, right, let's do our next session, they said, oh, Uncle Cam, would you just record it? Because we prefer the recording. He's like, <laughs> I'm not going to spend time with you. And they're like, oh, I know, but we really want the recording. So what's happened is he has now literally hundreds and thousands of videos on YouTube. And he's now created this school called, online school called can academy right which teaches you every aspect of maths and physics and all sorts in these wow. little videos and he's actually quite gifted at it because he has funny ways of explaining it and things like that okay. and visuals and so on so a lot of schools are actually using can academy that's fantastic and he chunks it down into little videos that explain little concepts so you might find that useful yeah do you know what now you're saying that there is because I'm doing maths with open learning with Edinburgh College um, sometimes my lecturer does webinars as mm -hmm. he calls them which I do find very helpful um, because there's no particularly if I'm on my own and I'm not with my tutor that I have outside um, which happens to be a relative of mine which is great because I get them for free but <laughs> um, when I'm on my own I can watch them I don't have somebody next to me being like did you get it? It's yes. just me who can sit and I can absorb and I can rewind and I can look back and right, what to do there again, right? Oh, how do I, right, okay. And that is very, very helpful. So that is, I'm so glad that I Can Academy exists. It's free and it's really useful. I'll have a yeah. look at it. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com, which helps you organize yourself creatively with a productivity system for Apple devices. This is Kazaya Nicholas. Kazaya, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Darius. I'm excited to be here. It's great having someone who's 20 on the show because a lot of the people listening, the parents and the tutors, the focus of this show is how do you get through high school with yeah. your confidence intact and find your thing in life. Mm -hmm. And you, that's still really fresh with you. Yes. You know, it's just a matter of years ago. So I'm really interested to hear your story so far. So. Where did your dyslexia story all begin? Both of my brothers are dyslexic. I'm one of eight, so my and I'm the third child. So my two older brothers are dyslexic. So when I got into primary school, my mum was like, just test her, just test her. She'd already seen tendencies. So for example, when I would read books, um, it could be a really generic children's book. So use the same characters and stuff that the rest of the books uses. I would guess the words and she'd be like, cause I look at the word and I'd look at her and be like, dog. She was like, no, read the word. So she could already see by the time I was in P1 and P2 that I had tendencies, but she asked that I was tested and they did it. it just, they discovered that I was dyslexic when I was in primary three, which I am so grateful for because I know so many people who go through all of high school or even most of their life and they don't know. For um, our American and international listeners, P3, what age is that? Um, it's For me, I was seven. Seven. I was seven years old. Uh, I was always... Uh, I was always proud of my dyslexia it was just another part of me I did definitely find it challenging particularly when um, I think 
From what I can remember, I was like one of the only dyslexic kids in my class and I was in a class of 19. Um, now, the likelihood that there was somebody in that class who maybe had dyslexia and it hadn't been found out is probably quite high. As far as I know, I was the only one who had it. And then going through primary school, it was a little bit easier because you've only kind of got one class, so you don't have to go for all these different uh, classes and the, there's not as much pressure on you because you are a child. And then getting up into high school, that was another kettle of fish entirely because suddenly instead of having one teacher in one class, maybe seven teachers in seven different classes, um, and the information that you take in a day is incredible compared to primary school. And it was, I started to find it very difficult to be motivated for school, um, and also just, I couldn't understand why some people almost felt like they had it so easy, mm. and yet, or it was something so simple, yet I just couldn't get my head around it. But because I, they found out I was sex like so young, um, it meant that I was immediately showing people support and all the, it's not civilities, what's the word? It, uh, all the stuff that I could, I could use for support, um, such as like a Neo or a computer I could type on, or extra time in exams, or a scribe, that was so handy. Uh, but also finding that I was, in, that I was really artistic, um, that's kind of where my dyslexia story uh, began kind of getting to know myself better. So what I like to ask people, you know, what woke up their potential? You know, like often in most people's life, there's there's a moment, there's a, a person or an event or different things that sort of woke, woke something up inside of you. What what was that for you? Um, My mum said that when I was little, if I was like really stressed out, or I'd had a really tough day. Um, suddenly the house would go quiet. And she'd be like, where's Kez? <laughs> and uh, she'd normally find me in a room colouring or drawing. Uh-huh. And um, uh, she could see, and that was, I was really little. I mean, you were talking like three or four years old. I think from there, my mum could see, and it was almost natural for me, but that I was really artistic. And that that was going to play such a key element in my life. Um, and then I did advanced higher art in high school. So I did it to the highest level possible in high school. Um, I didn't sit down and start jotting down maths or English, but I definitely did it for art. So I think for me that was um, that was a little beacon of hope. That was something that I could do and I could do well. Mm. So were there particular, any kind of teachers or encounters with people through your school or high school or outside of school even that were sort of defining moments in, in um, your story? Yeah, I, uh, learning support was always a really, uh, two teachers in particular that were so kind to me, you know, didn't look at me and then once I'd asked the third time how, how I didn't understand it, they would, uh, they would do it again or they'd find a new way of teaching me or they'd make me laugh or they'd make me feel comfortable, um, defining moments. So learning support? Learning support Who was great. Um, Mrs. Brown uh-huh. in St. David's. She's so lovely. She's still there, actually. She uh, she was Miss Lyle, and then she got married. But she was she's so kind. And actually, um, I had an awful experience recently where I was in the co-op and I lost my baby brother because he decided to walk home without telling me. And he's only five. And mm-hmm. she came in to the shop. And she was like, oh, Kaziah, how are you doing? I was like, miss. And I burst into tears because I couldn't find my little brother. And she dropped everything and helped me. And we found him. 
<laughs> he's not done that since but you know she was so special not everyone would do that and she just dived right in and I felt like she really did that for me in high school um what I needed I got which was great right having those kind of champions and that's one of the things that I like to do in this show as well is just highlight those mm. quiet heroes that waken something inside of you or believe in you along the way and it makes a big difference in the future so the challenge what kind of challenge did you face in primary school spelling was a big one um i remember being in p4 and our teacher asked gave us a word each to to learn how to spell that week and i was given scissors i was like scissors i was like good grief and I think I, I set myself to it and I ended up remembering how to, how to spell it. But that was a big mountain for me because how on earth do you spell scissors? I don't know if I could spell it today, if I'm quite honest. Um, but I remember being in P7 and we had spelling books and everyone was on kind of spelling book five or six and I was on spelling book two. Mm. I remember my teacher, I don't know why she did it to this day, but she went just randomly in the class. She went, because I spelled chicken. I was like... um. I said, Miss, I'm sorry, I don't know. And it was so embarrassing. It was so embarrassing because everyone was like, what? You can't spell chicken? And I was in primary seven, so I was 11 years old. Um, and the fact I was, being, I was on, put on the spot as well doesn't mm. help at all. Um, but that was a great challenge. And then in high school, time management, massive one. Uh, reading, writing. I'm not sure if it was because of the seven years of writing in primary school, but I, I was just exhausted. So that's when I was going to a computer, which was great. So I got to type up the notes from class or any essays I needed to do. And then I would go to learn support. I'd plug in the computer and print off the work and hand it to the teacher. And that worked great for that year. But then it was almost like I had a reboot. And from after that, I just, I wrote. Um, you had a reboot? Yeah, like, so I don't know, for some reason, after first year, I I felt like I could write again. Oh, I see. Like okay. I could. Um, so I started writing after um, the first year of high school. I then started writing again because before, I mean, I remember in primary seven sitting, we had to write a story, sitting with a learning support person next to me. And I just could not get down on paper what was in my head. I physically could not do it. And I would sit and cry at the piece of paper because everyone else was doing it so easily. And yet, for some reason, it was like, I just I just couldn't do it. Um, I got tinted glasses in high school to help me read because white paper was so harsh and it would give me headaches. And I would focus. It was like my eyes couldn't focus on the words. It, they were focusing on the white spaces. Um, so coloured paper was very handy and not super tiny writing. Um, speech, always a big one. My mum was really, really tempted to send me to a speech therapist because I spoke incredibly quickly. And I would mash up my words together. For example, um, I took a recording of myself recently. I was sending it to a friend and I said, my mum likes a tidy and cleany house. And I was like, what? And I listened to it again. And I was like, I meant a tidy and a clean house. So I'd mash up words like that. Or um, I would get, like I asked my friend if she was voting yes or no in the recession. She was like, what? <laughs> And she was like, do you mean referendum? And I was like, oh, right. <laughs> so stuff like that, but particularly because I spoke so quickly. Um, but You're I, not speaking quickly now. I'm really conscious of it because it's been a problem that I've lived with my whole life. And the fact that we're Scottish as well, so speaking fast is kind of the norm. Um, 
I think sometimes some dyslexic children speak fast as a way to cover over. Mm, yeah. They're, they're not quite sure, so they kind of blur it up a little bit. Yeah. And they, it, it's, oh, it's just because I'm speaking fast. Yeah, no, that's, that's very, very true. Uh, because you know, that's anxiety around it. Well, I got this wrong before, so I'll probably get it right again. But I want to communicate, so yeah. I'll just speak really quickly. But I did drama in high school and I loved it. And I loved it. And that taught me a lot about slowing down. Because if I'm uh, performing to an audience, I need to be able to articulate properly and they need to be able to understand what I'm saying. Um, but when I'm really conscious of it, I don't tend to speak fast. But when I get tired um, or I'm, I'm stressed or even when I'm excited about something, yeah. I tend to speak really, really quickly. So what was high school like towards the exam stage? Because that was only a few years ago yeah. for you now. Yeah, um, I, I, they knew I was getting support. We'd already set that in place. But for prelims, so like we have this thing where you can have uh, a practice exam before your exam. So prelims were coming up and um, I, we were, they weren't going to put me in a room by myself. As far as, as far as support was going, I was just getting... IT support and I was doing it in the examination hall. Oh my goodness, I hated the examination hall. It was awful. You know, I had this computer, so you already feel a bit funny because everyone else has got paper and you have a computer and it looks a bit funny. And then, you know, you're, you get stuck on a question and then you look around and everybody else is writing, so everybody else knows the question and you don't, which of course is not the case, but that's how you feel. Mm. And the anxiety was insane. And then, <laughs> My computer said low battery and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I was like, what? So then I took my hand up and this lovely gentleman came over and he picked up my computer and we had to take my computer and all my stuff to the back of the examination hall where all the coats and jackets were. So um, everybody was passing me and I couldn't concentrate. It was awful. And um, I mean, that reflected in my results. What, they were passing you on the way out? Yeah. Because you had extra time and they had to finish? Yes, and also because I was at the back of the hall because I needed to go next to a plug to plug my computer in. Yeah. So it was so distracting, so distracting. Um, so after that, they were like, right, we'll give Kazai our own room, which was such a blessing. So when exams did come around, I mean, I was stressed. I was so, so stressed. And... Um, Particularly with subjects that I just wasn't confident in, which was quite a lot of them. Um, I would have um, my body, I felt like, go out of sync during exams. Um, I was part of a, a friendship group, maybe 10 of, 10 of us, 10 girls, and seven of them got ollies. Mm. So I was very much, they were all lovely, all really lovely and uh, kind, but I was very much, I felt like the, the dumb one. Mm -hmm. because I didn't get I mean I have two friends who are twins and one got all A's and one got all A's bar B <laughs> and it was so the the intellect was incredible in my friendship group um so and when they came around to exams for them they were pretty stressed as well but I felt like I was almost under the same amount of stress but I knew they would do so much better than me and then after the first year of exams I actually felt like it wasn't as bad as I thought so when it came around to fifth year exam, I wasn't as stressed, but I didn't do as well. Nowhere near as well as my fourth year. Um, but that was partly because in fourth year, I took, I took uh, drama, art, home economics, business management, and PE. So 
uh, lots of really practical things in there, lots of creative subjects besides business management. And that year I got three A's, a B and a D, and the D was in man business management. <laughs> uh, so I excelled in creative subjects, but then because I'd taken loads of creative subjects, the next year I had to take academic subjects. So I took English and maths and um, a couple other ones, but I did not do well in those. Besides English, I managed to pass English, which was great, but that was great help from my father and my mum. I think I would not have passed it. Uh, so exams were exams were okay. Definitely, I felt like I got myself worked up too much because they, were, they weren't that bad, but they would have been a lot worse if I hadn't had all the support mm-hmm. that I'd got. A lot worse. So your goal is to become a midwife. It is. When did you put set your mind to that? Um, well, I originally wanted to be a photographer because I thought, you know, particularly a wedding photographer, um, I thought, what a, you know, I love weddings and to be a person to be able to capture those moments, how precious would that be? But then being one of eight and being the third oldest of one of eight, um, I've seen my mum go through many pregnancies and not the births. I did ask. She said no. <laughs> um, and... I thought, what incredible people to to be there for those women who need them so dearly. And my mum said that uh, giving birth is like the bridge between life and death because it can go either way so quickly. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, there can be so many complications with births and it's a really tough time. So I thought to myself, if I can get a little bit of Jesus into each one of those delivery rooms, then I'll be doing a good thing. Um, and also... Uh, I love period dramas, love them to bits, particularly when they're movies. And uh, Call the Midwife started and I was hitched so quickly. Mm-hmm. Love it, love it, love it. Particularly as well because it's so genuine, there's not a lot of rubbish drama in it. And um, what these women did for these going above and beyond uh, Call of Duty, um, and I, was like, I really want to be like that. I want to be a person like that. That's great. So what do you mean by getting a little bit of Jesus in, you know, what does that mean for you, is it? So, I'm a Christian. Um, my my father is a Church of Scotland minister, but I made the decision for myself to follow Jesus. And that, he, Jesus has played a big part in being able to live life with dyslexia. Um, because, you know, I'm fearful and wonderfully made, and I know that I was here for a purpose, and not that, just because I can't, you know, I don't put my worth on whether I can spell a word right or whether I can articulate something perfectly because I'm worth so much more than that. And um, and I know he loves me for me. Um, so, and I've been able to use my dyslexia and my love for Jesus to bring joy to other people. Like when I, you know, I'm using humour. So like when I said to my friend, are you voting yes in another recession? That made her laugh. And I could laugh with that because it was actually quite funny. Um, and so... Through my dyslexia, um, you know, God has been able to use me to make other people smile. And that's so important. Okay, so that's kind of the challenge. What sort of, are you, I often ask people what reward they've got out of that challenge. Do you think you're in the place where you've got a reward out of it or you're you, you're looking for a reward? Where are you in that kind of stage? I don't want to presume you've already got some sort of reward. <laughs> um, yes and no. I think just now, because I'm having to study loads, that it's really tough. Like, it's really tough. Are you um, working full-time? I I dropped my hours, but I t- I'm working 35 hours a week. You're working 35 hours a week, 
And at the moment, so you're 20, mm-hmm. you're working 35 hours a week and you want to become a midwife. So what kind of things do you need to become the midwife? Um, to get into university, I need three Bs and a C at higher and a national five in math. Three Bs and, and a, a C. C and a nat five in maths. Mm-hmm. So what have you got to get to fill the gaps? Um, I got my higher English, which was great. I got a B in higher English. and Was I, that last year? Uh, in high school. In high school, in high school. okay. And I got a, a B, no, a C in art. So I've got a B and a C. Um, I didn't have maths, so I needed to get that. And I could have, um, I needed to have a B. Two, two of them have to be English and biology. They have to be English. Other ones can be anything. So art was fine, that's applicable. I got my English, which was great, that's what I needed. So now you get my biology and my maths and then something else. So I'm hopefully planning, if I pass biology and maths this year, then I'll go on to do higher biology next year at college and then along with either higher sociology or psychology, which should then hopefully give me the grades to get into university. So you'll be 21, 22? I'll be... Um, I think I figured out if I'm if everything goes like clockwork and I get accepted first year and everything, then I should be qualified when I am twenty five. Okay, start when you're twenty one, twenty two, and qualify twenty five ish. Yeah, it takes okay. three years. Um, it's interesting because often a lot of this dysle- they say about dyslexia, you 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 kind of need to take a slightly longer term view mm. for teenagers and twenty somethings to sort of come into their own. And a lot of dyslexics end up going to university when they're 21, 22, oh, I didn't know that. rather than 17, 18, you know. And often they take a, another route in. Mm. Um, and it looks like that's what you're doing. I mean, yeah. that's working really hard to it get is. to that goal. That actually, you know, for a number of other people, they may have those kind of grades, but not deciding to do much with them. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, do you have any friends who have got kind of grades that you think... Which had their 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 grades and are not doing much with it, or yeah, I think particularly with my friends who got so many qualifications and it was just a blanket. It was like, well, if I get all of these qualifications, then no matter you know, I can do whatever I want, which is great. But that would have killed me if <laughs> I had done that, um, and I wouldn't have got any of them because I've been I'd be worked far too hard. Um, yeah, my I think it, there's so much truth in that. Like my brother Joel, who's dyslexic, he took two years at a gap year he took two years out and volunteered with our church and volunteers in youth min- mission um, and youth work and he was also uh, the youth minister at Lighthouse and then he uh, started to do a university course um, and that is in theology and youth mission I think it is but he you know has that but he got it when he was 23 that's when he got his degree. My brother Nathan, who's dyslexic, has not been to university. Um, but he's married and has his own house. And uh, he he works full time and um, is part of the RAF. So he didn't even go down in education. The military are really good with dyslexia. Mm, I think it's I think it's so practical as well. Yeah. It's, there's not a lot of... I mean, it's hard. Nathan had to do his... Armada or something, I can't remember what it was called, but it's physical test, which was really difficult. But if you asked me to do a physical test or a written test, I'd put the physical one easy. So let's go on to the second section where we talk about dyslexia and kind of like 
you, we can track the influence of dyslexia through your story so far. What have you learnt about dyslexia out of your own story? Um, that it comes in all shapes and sizes. Uh-huh. Um, the way that it affects my brothers um, is very different in ways that it affects me. Um, that it's not, it's not an excuse for being stupid, because that's so not true. I watched this incredible TED Talk about dyslexia and it really opened my eyes like even the physical differences of a dyslexic brain compared to a normal brain um, or a non-dyslexic brain I found fascinating and uh, I found that um, for me there's there's got not a limit but I need to know what my limitations are in the sense that um, I know I can learn this but I'd be much better learning it in two sections than five hours of intense learning. Okay. Um, so, for example, um, I have a, a maths tutor and he likes to get through the maths quickly so that we can get on to the next thing. Um, but I might, might be doing it for like, I don't know, we get to the three hour mark and I'm starting to get tired. Three hours? <laughs> I know, of maths. My goodness. <laughs> um, Do you and, take breaks? Uh, we do. We tend to take like one break and we look at memes, which is quite funny. But uh, you know, it's recommended that you take you study in twenty-five minute chunks, <laughs> have a five-minute break to reset your attention. Oh, I, that's I and that's not just for dyslexia. <laughs> that's for like everyone. I I mean, it's funny because I mean, I was about to say, well, then I wouldn't get as much work done. But then you might, would I actually understand it better and process the information better? Absolutely. Scientifically, (laughs) unquestionably, (laughs) that's the reality of it. Because if you, if you did, if you charted a graph after and and you showed your attention level after Mm. about 10 minutes, it starts dropping down, Mm -hmm. okay, to about 50% at about half an hour. You know, like you're, you're paying 100% attention but your absorption level, as it were, is, has dropped. Yeah. Okay. If you then interrupt it at that stage, ha- 25 minutes into it, have a break, it resets back up mm, to 100% and then starts dropping back down. But if you don't interrupt at that stage, it just drops down and settles at about 40%. <laughs> just carries on. So if you just do the maths of that mm. over a three-hour period compared to chunking it up, <laughs> you can do the same amount of work and get there faster if you take more breaks. That's very interesting. I'll have to relay that to him. But I... It's called, there's a name for it, the Pomero technique. Oh, how interesting. You say, I'll do a Pomero. A Pomero. I'll do a Pomero. 25-minute <laughs> Pomero. Um, but with with that, so with the three hours, um, you know, the physical signs of being tired, like, well, you're, like, your brain is getting too hot, so you yawn or you scratch your head. These are all physical uh, reactions to your brain being too hot because it's trying to release heat. That's why we yawn. So I'll start yawning, I'll start itching my head, and I'm like, oh, this, oh no. And he's, and he's asking me something, and then he's like, do you get it? And I'll be like, mm-hmm, do you get it? Mm-hmm, you don't get it, do you? Mm-mm. <laughs> so I... In that, that I have to say, look, I think it's time to stop because this is like it's just no point trying to teach me something yes. when I am not yes, absorbing absolutely. this. I think that's you coming back to this point of knowing your limits. Mm-hmm. So that there's obviously the physical human limit, but there's also limit to a hyper creative brain like yours, dyslexic brain. Yeah. You start knowing where your capabilities are. Mm-hmm. Like, I know I can't remember more than three things when I go to the shop if I don't write. If it's, if it's four things, mm-hmm. I will only remember two things. 
But if it's three things, I will re reliably remember the three things. But the moment it goes to four, then things just start <laughs> knocking each other off the table. But And I'm fine with that because now I know it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you think, oh, I should really be able to remember four or five things. So I go and try it again. And I'm like, no, I've just learned that's my limit. Yeah. And if someone gives me an extra task to add to the shopping, like buy the bananas, I just have to write a list. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's workarounds. Let's move to learning moments. What were your learning moments and how do you learn? What What's your sort of favourite way of learning stuff? Um, I found that repetitive learning tends to work quite well for me. Pardon? Repetitive learning. Okay. So what do you mean by that? Um, doing something over and over and over again. Okay. Um, not to the point of exhaustion at all, but like when I did maths in high school, I had this one t very good teacher called Miss Lan. She was quite strict. She was quite funny. But at the start of every class, she would pull up like maybe five questions that we had done in previous lessons and it would we'd have to do them so we had to really dive into our long-term memory and bring them back up and remember them and I did really well um unfortunately it wasn't at an exam level so I didn't help in particular but because I was repeating it um it it, it did it was really really helpful and like today when I was at math tutoring um my math tutor was like I said, let's, what was that again? What did you say? And he went, but you don't understand it. So why would we, you know, you're not understanding it properly. And I said, no, but if you just show me how to do this a couple of times more, more, then I will get it. And I did. We did about five more questions and I got it. So repetitive learning is really helpful for me. Um, Teachers call that, tutors call that overlearning. Right. That's their buzzword for overlearning. We just, I just did a, recorded a podcast on dyscalculia. Do you know what dyscalculia, have you heard of it? I, I think I it's have, basically yeah. being dyslexic with maths. Yes, I have. And she did a keynote speech at Dyslexia Education Conference uh, a few days ago. I recorded that. It's I think it's episode 15 or 16. You might be interested in that. Right. And she goes through lots of different techniques you can use with dyslexics and maths. Mm, how interesting. You know, um, visual aids mm -hmm. and, and techniques and... Mm -hmm. Often if you can visualize it in a certain way and something that can be really hard in an abstract mathematical formula, when you use certain tools, you can visualize it. It becomes very straightforward because you're using your visual yes. advantages as a dyslexic to compensate for your disadvantages. Right. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I do. I think visual learning is definitely a massive one for me as well. Like um, My biology lecturer, we were talking about cell membranes. And he got up of his seat and he went to the door and he he closed it and he was outside the door. We were like, where's he gone? And he opened it again and he closed it and he opened it again. And he was he was demonstrating to like the permeable membranes. And like it, the door is a membrane. Yeah. Uh -huh. And it was and it was fascinating. I mean, I still remember it. The yes. fact that I remember that um, shows that that was a really effective way of teaching me. Yeah. When you use humor or when because it was it was quite funny because he's just opening and shutting the door. When you use humour and real physical things like experiments, experiments what are great. What was his name, by the way? Mr. Chalet. Okay. He's really funny. Um, he's a Nigerian chap and he is, he's just hilarious. Uh, that that really helps. I mean, I, I did biology at my high school for three years at the same level and didn't and got a C, you know. And uh, I've been with him for, what, four months and the PS is teaching styles are so drastically different i'm learning so much better um so is this your teacher in college yes ah right right now mm -hmm. 
Oh, shout out to him, eh? <laughs> Brilliant. So you you really like that practical demonstrations and humor and so on. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, uh, sorry, I was going to move on to the next thing. Anything more before we move on? I think also just if it's really engaging something, because if if you're interested in something, you're going to learn it better. Yeah. So even if if you could, if a lecturer could find a way of, because at the moment my maths, I'm not very interested in maths. You know, I do not. I'm doing trinomials and thirds in algebraic equations and I'm like this doesn't I don't need this to be a midwife and yet I do so for me it's just it's just a hurdle that I need to get over and don't need to look at again now I think that's quite unfortunate because maths is is actually very interesting but it doesn't grab my attention the only reason why I'm doing it is so that I can get into university so if there is a way to make it interesting or uh, exciting enough that I could actually enjoy it um then then that would be incredible have you come across can academy Mm-mm. so um this guy can mm-hmm. started to teach his uh, nephews right maths and he was some sort of stockbroker or in the financial services really good with maths so he said look i'll coach you and he did it via you uh, via video right so in another country um live like mm-hmm. facetime sort of thing and sometimes they couldn't make it so what he did was he said look I'll record it and I'll send it to you and his nephews preferred the video <laughs> so what he would do is he'd do a maths explanation right. and they could pause it mm. and then rewind if they didn't understand something which you can't do with a real person no. you have to kind of do what you're doing now which is yes 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 and be mm-hmm. polite and and hope that finally you might catch up and get yeah. it well they would stop rewind and play it and so when he went to his uh, nephews and said, right, let's do our next session, they said, oh, Uncle Can, would you just record it? Because we prefer the recording. He's like, <laughs> I'm not going to spend time with you. And they're like, oh, I know, but we really want the recording. So what's happened is he has now literally hundreds and thousands of videos on YouTube. And he's now created this school called, online school called can academy right which teaches you every aspect of maths and physics and all sorts in these little videos and he's actually quite gifted at it because he has funny ways of explaining it and things like that and visuals and so on so a lot of schools are actually using can academy that's fantastic and he chunks it down into little videos that explain little concepts so you might find that useful yeah do you know what now you're saying that there is because I'm doing maths with open learning with Edinburgh College um, sometimes my lecturer does webinars as mm-hmm. he calls them which I do find very helpful um, because there's no particularly if I'm on my own and I'm not with my tutor that I have outside um, which happens to be a relative of mine which is great because I get them for free but <laughs> um, when I'm on my own I can watch them I don't have somebody next to me being like did you get it? It's just yes. me who can sit and I can absorb and I can rewind and I can look back and right, what to do there again, right? Oh, how do I, right, okay. And that is very, very helpful. So that is, I'm so glad that I Can Academy exists. It's free and it's really useful. I'll have a yeah. look at it. Thank you. So next, mind mapping. What's your mind mapping experience been? Um, I did a little bit of it in high school. Uh, I remember having to make one for I think it was was it in S four so that was the first of our year of our exam year we had to write had to do a mind map for our essays 
Um, English? I yes, English. Okay. Um, I wasn't the best at them. I tend to just like, because I'm quite artistic, um, they kind of, we'd have the words in the middle and that'd be in a bubble and then they'd have lines going to different things. The lines would become flowers or they'd become stems or, uh, so I tend to do it a lot. But I do know that my... But those are the best line maps. They are, because they're pretty, but then you spend so much time making them look pretty, they ain't got a lot of words in them. Oh, I see. Um, and uh, again, trying to get physical words done on a bit of paper, even, it wasn't so, it was less hard than it was in primary school, but still in high school, it was, I still find it hard. Um, so, I mean, mine would be pretty, but it might not make a lot of sense. I know that my... Um, my brother Simeon attended your course and my dad, it's when I go into his office, I'll look at his whiteboard and it'll be covered in a mind map. And when he does his sermons, he has a massive print off sheet. Yeah, he has two, yeah, he has one or the other. It's either a big sheet of paper that has all the slides that he's done that he will then show behind him. And he will also have a mind map, which I think is down to you, which thank you very, very much. Um, and uh, I, it helps them greatly. And my dad is, he said, he's mentioned to me before about using them, um, but I haven't got around to doing it. I think because I'm so used to the normal learning, even though it's maybe not very helpful. But, you know, if somebody says, right, take notes, you don't immediately start drawing a mind map. You start drawing, you start writing down notes. Yeah. But maybe one would be more helpful than the other. Definitely. Um, my dad said that he saw you at Jordan Peterson. You mind mapped the entire thing. My dad said it was incredible. <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. He mind mapped the entire time and it was incredible. Um, 90 minute lecture for one <laughs> A4 sheet. <laughs> That's amazing. It's absolutely I amazing. I love doing it. It's, it's great. It's great fun. And the, and the thing is that, do you know what? I, I know my mind would wander. I mean, it's a 90 minute solid lecture of intense... Mm. you know academic deep thinking stuff it's not just general stories and I know my mind would wander mm. and I really want to absorb all the information yeah. and I think when I mind map it I often get to like exam level standard of understanding it you know how wow. when you take notes in a lesson you think right yeah I got the information I don't quite get it all but mm -hmm. I'll get there when I start revising it properly yeah. and then like five six seven months later you sit down with those notes go over them and you go oh yeah i can't remember that and you have this moment where you go oh i get it now <laughs> yeah yeah i get it now and you're like i wish i'd got this like when i was doing the lessons <laughs> rather than one week before the exam or whatever yes. you know because now it's quite interesting mm. and understandable and this is quite good <laughs> uh, but it's all a bit late because you've done all of your lessons well i get to that stage at the end of that lecture oh. because I'm doing two things at the one time. Anyway, that's me. But I'm interested in your mind mapping journey. It's not a right or wrong thing. I'm just fascinated by your kind of experience of it because it, lots of different people, mind mapping is so ubiquitous, but different people experience it in different ways depending on how it's introduced to them or whatever. So English happened for you. Mm. You did a map there. Mm -hmm. Any other mind mapping experiences for you? Mm -hmm. I had to do a mind map for my advanced higher art and we had to make it look creative, which was great because that's what I've been doing to all my other mind maps. So I made it, um, I'm, it was a woman, it was a woman's face that I had done a bit of paper with real makeup and she had pink hair and each strand of hair was a part of the, uh, part of the mind map. Um, oh, wonderful. Thanks. So a face with all these hairs 
I like that. I'd love to see it. Have you still got it? I do still have Please it. Please send me a photo. I will. I'll tell you what, can I put it up on the show notes? Yes, you can. Okay, great. You can. She's got pink hair. Uh, you can do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's another mind map that I remember. And I, I did enjoy doing that. Um, Was it any use though? You know, because sometimes you can do a map and it's not that much use. I mean, I did it because I had to. Okay. Um, I think... You know, it was like, because I did my advanced hair art on the Songs of Solomon, a particular verse in Songs of Solomon, because I was designing a wedding dress. Uh-huh. Um, and I uh, I had to do, like, just, again, in my map to kind of expand my thinking. So, you know, Songs of Solomon, Bible, book, poetry, and then uh, from there, from there. But, it, yeah, it, well, I did do it because I had to do it. Okay. And that's it? That's pretty much it. Okay. I don't tend to mind map. I've not done a single bit of mind mapping in college. Um, I, I think the last one I did a mind map was probably in high school, so we're talking like maybe two years ago. Okay. Move on to the next thing. Advice to yourself. If you could go back in time to when you were a teenager, 13, 14, something like that, what advice would you give yourself, knowing what you know now? Oh, and before you answer that, actually, I think it would be relevant. You just went for another dyslexia test i did i did and i i you know because i know the story because you're a friend of my daughter's and i heard through my daughter you were actually quite nervous before the dyslexia test i was now i thought oh she's nervous because and she's called herself dyslexic probably because she comes from a dyslexic family and never really got tested and that's why she's nervous going into test but you got tested when you were seven and you were nervous before this dyslexia test because maybe you're not dyslexic or something. I don't know. What was going through your head? Why were um, you nervous? <laughs> I think because I know, I know from the experience of being in the exam hall for my prelims and I, I know how much my dyslexia affects me. I was so scared that they would, because, you know, there's bad days and good days with dyslexia and I, that somehow I would pass all the tests perfectly or, you know, really well and they'd be like, sorry, you're not dyslexic. And then I wouldn't get the support I needed. And I'd be like, no, I am dyslexic, I am. Um, I remember I said that to my mum and she was like, oh, sweetheart. And I was like, but they might, they might, they might say that I'm not dyslexic and then what do I do? So that, that was one of the thoughts that was going through my head. So do you sometimes think maybe that, so if you follow that logic to its full extent, <laughs> yeah. okay, is there something in the back of your mind thinking, oh, maybe I'm being given these extra advantages and, and I don't really need them and so on. Is that, was that, if, because... If you, if there's a part of you that's, if there was, if there was a part of you that was thinking, oh, maybe I'm not dyslexic, um, then what about all those extra yeah. allowances? What were you thinking about then? Well, there was time in high school, you know, where, because it's not only people who are just dyslexic who struggle with examination halls, or the pressure of exams, we all struggle with the pressure yes, of exams. Absolutely. And so the fact that I got my own room and somebody wrote it out for me, even though they were all my own words. Um, you know, for people who who didn't get those, that was a bit unfair or a bit like, well, why can't I have that? So I guess the thought behind being uh, nervous with my dyslexia test was that well, dyslexia is very much part of who I am. And I'm very, you know, I'm very open about my dyslexia. And then if that was suddenly gone and yet I had all these extra stepping stones, then what on earth is wrong with me? You know, if maybe I'm just... Maybe there's another difficulty I have, or that I am, or I'm just too lazy, you know. That because you can get slagged off from being dyslexic, 
And it's not nice. Bullying with dyslexia is horrific and it shouldn't happen. Um, but then at least you know what the problem is or you know you know what you can tackle or you know why you're struggling with this. Um, but then if that's suddenly taken away, then, well, what, what, it's, it's, I wouldn't want to think about it, actually, because then you would just be like, well, I'm obviously, I'm obviously stupid, which, is, which isn't true and wouldn't be true, but then your, your mind would lead you to that. So what did happen? Um, I went in, I actually had two dyslexia, I, well, I kind of had three. I had the one in primary three, and then I had an assessment um, which I thought was dyslexia test, but then the lady told me afterwards it was to see if I was at risk of dyslexia. And I was like, really? I'm just going through all the stress of uh, that if I might be dyslexic and this is just an assessment. She went, it's just an assessment to see if you're at risk. And so I said, well, am I? She was like, yes, you are. Um, it was very interesting. She had a graph and uh, it had kind of the bottom line was, um, if you can imagine, like... Can you help me understand? I'm, I'm a little bit confused. So are you describing the one you've just had done or the one you had done in high school? Um, so I had one done in primary school when I was seven and then I've had two in college. It's I kind of had one proper dyslexia test and the other test was to see if I was at risk of dyslexia. So you had the dyslexia test first? No, I had the risk dyslexia the risk first. Of, and that and then, was how long ago? Ah, uh, about a month. A month ago. And then you had your actual dyslexia test, what, a week or so ago? About three weeks ago. It was quite quick, actually. Okay, right. Um, so the at-risk one showed that uh, I was competent in maybe like three subjects, and then there was this massive peak where it said that I was really struggling. Um, and then that was the indication that I was at risk of having dyslexia. So then they said that I would have an appointment with the educational psychologist. And... Um, so I was like, well, I'm okay, I'm fine, <laughs> I don't need a psychologist. Ah, and psychologist is a... Yeah. You, you start thinking mental issues yeah, and so on. Yeah, I was on. like, yes, I'm yes. okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the day of the test, I had to leave my lecture early to get to it. And I walked in and it was this lovely man, his name was John, can't quite remember his last name. But he was Canadian and he'd done lecturing in Ireland. So he had a Canadian accent with an Irish twang. It was amazing. And so I was already captivated. And he was like, young lady, come in. And he was just, he was so kind and he was so gentle. And he asked me first questions like, is there any family history of dyslexia? Is there, which is yes. Is there, when you, where, have you been tested before? Um, and I really enjoyed myself. He was he was so engaging and um, regardless of what like you know there's several little tests that you do there's might be pictures that have something missing and you've got to figure out what's missing or you've got to align these bricks in a certain way that's in the picture or you've got to write how many words you can in a minute like okay. um no matter what I did you know if it was wrong or right which I didn't actually know if it was wrong or right they don't tell he, you do they no they don't he was he, he, he always said clever well done you're very clever and I was like what like That's great. this is so cool so I, I felt like I got everything right so you felt very affirmed very and then at the end he said now Keziah I want to tell you you are a very clever young lady and you have dyslexia yes <laughs> but even the way he said that he didn't say you're dyslexic he said you are very clever and you are dyslexic um it's like Yes, I am intellectual and I am, um, and I am clever, and my extra handbag is my dyslexia. You know, it's a, it's a part of me, but also my cleverness is a part of me. Yeah. And he said, 
you're a certain type of dyslexic, you're a smart dyslexic. And I was like, smart dyslexic? And he was very open to questions and he said that what I mean by a smart dyslexic is that your intellectual level is so much higher than your reading, writing and spelling. That means that you are of a category. Um, because, and then I asked him questions like, uh, how do you know I'm dyslexic? He said, good question. Um, again, affirming me, he was just so kind. Uh, he said that when you get to P3, round about P3, that's when they say it's a good time to test for dyslexia. Because when you get into P1 and primary 2, your intellectual level and your reading, writing and spelling are kind of on par. But as you start to go up through primary school and then up through high school, that gap becomes bigger if you're dyslexic. It becomes bigger. They should kind of go up at the same pace. But if you're dyslexic, your intellectual level tends to go up and your reading and writing tends to stay down. Mm. And so that's how you can see if someone's dyslexic. They've developed a test now so that you can identify it at five reliably. That's incredible. Before you fail, as it were, um, because a lot of people wait until the child starts failing to mm. then get tested, age seven or eight. But at that point, they've had two or three years of crushing mm. negative feedback from yeah. their peers and so on. Whereas if you know at five, you can start. That's incredible. Um, so America are really pushing, you know, Good. get people tested, well, UK as well. Mm. Um, anyway, so he was very affirming on your, your test. He was. He showed you your IQ levels and then he showed you where your actual other levels of reading and so on were in, in yeah. comparison. My mum, I kind of brought home the report and my mum read it and she actually said it was a bit scary. But I think what she meant by that was we didn't realise how much my dyslexia affected me. Or maybe, because he mentioned actually, he said you already... I've naturally built in coping mechanisms that you haven't realised that you're doing. Mm. Um, so when my mum read this, she she was like, wow, I don't even, we didn't realise that this was a coping mechanism for this and that was, and I just naturally did it. Um, so, uh, you know, I think what I've noticed with my daughter as well, I will get her onto the podcast too to mm. uh, describe how it felt for her as a teenager as well. And I don't want to steal her thunder for when she does it. But what I noticed is that sometimes you can see, know someone's dyslexic and you can think, well, they're mildly dyslexic. Mm. But actually, they're very dyslexic, <laughs> but they're compensating it for so much you can only mildly see it. Yeah. And I think that's maybe what you're describing, that it can, it can look like, yeah, you're dyslexic. Because I am, yeah, mildly dyslexic sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And you start thinking to yourself... Yeah, well, I'm just a bit dyslexic. Um, but why am I finding this so hard? And because I'm just a bit dyslexic. But when you see the numbers, yeah. you start realising, wow. You know, compared to if I wasn't doing X, Y and Z, mm -hmm. you'd be way down here in mm -hmm. the way you express yourself or cope with things. Yeah. Is that what you've been experiencing, do you think? I th yes, but I think it's more to the extent of because we, as I got older, we could see that my dyslexia was affecting me more and more. And we knew that I was... It's almost like we knew I was really dyslexic, but now we know I'm really, really, really dyslexic. Oh, okay, right. So it's um, it's like, oh, it's all right, she's only got one leg, she'll be fine. And now, oh, no, she doesn't have two legs. She, she doesn't have any legs. <laughs> she's going to use her arms. <laughs> so I think it's, it's, it's and we, we, we've always known that I've been really dyslexic, but not as much as we have realised. Okay. Um, and my, it was really interesting. In my report, it spoke about, the difference between my long-term memory and my short-term memory. 
in that the biggest difficulty is actually getting the information from my short-term memory into my long-term memory, yeah. which has been a bit of a wake-up call, actually, um, which is why repetitive learning tends to help me. Yes. Um, because telling me once, unless I'm really excited about it, I'm not going to remember it. Yes. Um, but if you tell me maybe once and then you tell me another part of the day and then another time, then I'll, be, I'll remember it much easier. Which is actually something that you might want to consider if that's your challenge, then there's an aspect of mind mapping you could use for that in particular. Okay. And that is one of the things I teach my students is once you've drawn the map, to imagine you're teaching uh, another person from the map, you're recapping it, but you're teaching it to maybe someone who's four years younger than you or much younger than you, yes? So you've had this long lesson mm -hmm. and you've got this map on your page mm -hmm. and what you do is you point to each word and you just say what it reminds you of and you just talk your way through it. And what you find is you go through the map in about 90 seconds to two minutes to three minutes and often you do a summary of it that's very succinct. Right. Okay. So you're basically repetitive learning. Mm. You're retelling the story and remembering it by cool. pulling it together. But you're verbally remembering it. Mm -hmm. So you're using your verbal processing because you're probably a verbal processor. Yeah, definitely. You like talking things through. Mm -hmm. You like figuring things out by bouncing yeah. them off someone. And you might have recapped that in 20 minutes with someone if you didn't have the prompt of the map. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah, I did this and there was this. Oh, and there was that. And you're all a bit random. But when you do it from a map, you're remembering it in one particular order mm -hmm. and then you do it again in the mm -hmm. same particular order. You're reinforcing it and it's, it's the same version of this uh, overlearning happening. And the beauty of it is you only need to spend two or three minutes doing the whole lesson. That's cool. That's and really so cool. what you can do in 15 minutes is five repetitions of that, mm. which can be very... Um, consolidating and because you're visually seeing it all in one space you're visually kind of consolidating it you're verbally consolidating it and you're doing it quick mm. so it's not oh goodness forever and ever and ever <laughs> writing an essay mass. again or <laughs> going over a problem again do you know what I mean mm -hmm. so that might help you convert it from the short term to the long term yeah? that's really interesting thing so we are at the point of advice to your teenage self that was nice to see that recap and by by the way we need to talk about Myers-Briggs yes, at some point we but we'll do that later <laughs> uh, in your in your tools of the trade sort of thing advice to your teenage self so Kaziah having shared all of that with us if you were to go back to when you were 13 or 14 what would you say to yourself and maybe some other 13 or 14 year olds maybe some mum is playing this in the car mm. on the way to school and saying you need to listen to this this story I heard on the, my podcast and there's this 13 or 14 year old going, oh, mom, I'm not that dyslexic or whatever, you mm. know, what would you be saying to her or to your younger self? Um, I would say, Keziah, you are so precious. You are so precious and it's okay that you can't spell this word properly and it's okay that, um, that you're, you don't feel like you're getting this quite right because um, you're, learn you're learning at Kaziah pace and that's absolutely fine um, and you may be in a friendship group full of all these incredible academic people and that's amazing that they're getting this now but you're going to get it a little bit later and that's totally okay because when you get it a little bit later you're going to get it 
and you're going to understand it. Um, I would say uh, <laughs> that my worth and my beauty are not defined by my relationship status at all. Um, and that my worth is found in Jesus. Um, and I would say that um, that you do an incredible job of making people laugh and making people feel welcome. My mum said to me before I started my exams, she said, Keziah, I am so much more concerned about the person you become than the grades that you get. She was far more concerned about the compassion that I showed others and the love that I showed to others than if I got an A or B in an exam. And that greatly helped me. So yeah, that's what I'd say to myself. Brilliant. So what would you say to yourself then as a parent, if you could send a message and forward in time? Maybe you might listen to this podcast in, I don't know how many years it will be before <laughs> you're a parent, but let's say eight years time, 10 years time. Um, I see. Remember that time when your mum was teaching you to tie shoelaces and you couldn't get it. You just couldn't get it and she'll show you again and again and again and you weren't getting it. Um, and you were both getting quite upset. And then your dad came through and showed you a different way of how to tie your shoelaces. Mm. And you could tie your shoelaces. And I would say to my future self or to a parent who has a dyslexic child, um, be creative, find a different way and they will get it. Mm. They will. Find a different way. Brilliant. How did your dad teach you how to do shoelaces? A bunny ears. Bunny ears. Mm -hmm, which really helped as well because they, they were bunny ears. So instead of doing like a loop where you tie a bit of string around the lip and pull it through, you got two bunny ears and you tie it like a normal knot. And that's how I learned to tie my shoelaces. Brilliant. Another shout out. You've had a shout out to your mum, a shout out to your dad. Mm -hmm. Okay, we've done the advice. Now we're kind of running over time, I'd say. So <laughs> let's, let's go into dyslexia tools. Uh, what thinking and organising tools do you use? Tell us your practical uh, nuts and bolts stuff thinking tools okay so I'm not great at keeping a diary but keeping it on my phone is enough so when it comes to planning my everyday life I'm not in a lot of minute detail just kind of like big picture stuff like work or coming here for example or tutoring I tend to have that on my phone so I could just swipe to the right and there it is and also reminders so setting a reminder for a certain time because I know that if I don't put it in then I'll forget about it Definitely um, use when I'm reading, if it's something that I really need to absorb quite quickly, I'll tend to use even like a ruler to block off the rest of the writing so I can just read that one line at a time. Definitely trying to find a practical way that I can learn something new. Like if you gave me a piece of sheet music and you said, right, learn that, but didn't give me an instrument or didn't give me a video tutorial on how to do it, then I wouldn't be able to do it. So very practical things. I, I need to use um, tangible things like my brother Joel, he, I was playing with the ukulele last night and learning a new song. He said, Kazai, can you teach me? And I was like, sure. So we took the ukulele and he was like, wait, wait, what chord was that? I was like, no, give me the ukulele back. I'll show you what chord. He went, no, just, just show me, Kez. And I was like, I can't, Joel. You've not given me the ukulele. Like, I can't. I, it's so hard for me to, to verbally put across what I can just show you. Yes. Because I can't, I, I can't do that, Joel. Got to physically do I've it. I've got to physically do it. Gadgets and apps. Um. Oh my gosh, speaking to my phone has been an absolute lifesaver, particularly when I'm tired, and I'm texting someone, and I can press a little microphone, and I can just speak. Is oh, great. Um, not so great when I don't know how to pronounce the word because that doesn't really yeah. help. But I find that really, really helpful. So when you text someone. 
you just hit the microphone button mm -hmm. and it types what you say. Yep. You do that all the time? I, I'd um, what pro proportion would oh, you say? I'd say about 60%. Wow, that's great. Um, you know you can do that for essays. Uh, I, 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 do you know what? I probably wouldn't have thought about doing it for essays because I would need to be right, not right, but if maybe if I had a mind map next to me while yeah, I, I did I, it. <laughs> you know how what, what I teach my students to do is like do the verbal recap of right. it. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're so used to doing the verbal recap. Put your phone beside you, hit the microphone button, and start talking your way through it, mm. okay? And then it types it all up for you. Go into that with your word processor mm -hmm. and you start editing it out and you're not having to think about the structure mm. because it naturally falls into sentences and paragraphs yeah. and so on because it's already structured in the map. Kaziah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're so welcome. I'm sure it will be valued by quite a few parents and... Uh, teenagers out there to hear your story good luck with becoming a mid midwife thank you and much. I bet you'll be an amazing midwife <laughs> thank you so much Darius I really appreciate that I hope you enjoyed that episode these podcasts are brought to you by bullet map studio because we are passionate about helping dyslexic parents and teenagers learn more about their dyslexia and how they can find their thing in life and the skills they need to do that. Please go to the show notes if you're really interested in any of the links that are here and things that have been referenced. All you do is type in bulletmapstudio.com forward slash 22 and you will find all the summary and the notes and the links there for you. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com. It's my day job when I'm not hosting this podcast. Tell me, do you know what you want to achieve in the workplace, but you're struggling with how to achieve it? Maybe you suspect some traits of dyslexia are getting in the way. Well, that's where dyslexia productivity coaching comes in because we give you a simple productivity system for your Apple devices that harnesses the creativity that comes with your dyslexia. It includes proven methods like note-taking, reminders, speech-to-text, mind mapping, and more, all tailored to your needs. It'll free up your time and help you achieve outstanding results. Book a complimentary call to discuss it with me, and if you do it soon, I may also be available to coach you personally via Zoom. So don't be shy. Go to dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com or swipe up and book it now.